Hello and welcome to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast where we examine the Star Trek universe from a non-Trekkie perspective. Today we are doing an episode of Spotlight at the Movies, the thread of our podcast where we examine a film featuring a member of Star Trek alumni either in front or behind the camera. And to help us do that today, I'm joined by my usual co-hosts, Matt Brothers. Hello, Liam. And Paul Wilson-Morris. Hello. I'm Liam Dempsey, and we also have a very special guest. We would say someone I've been wanting to get on the show for a while. It is Petros from the Cage In podcast. Hello, sir. That introduction made me sound like I was big shit. Instead, I am just... Uh, Small shit. Small shit. Small shit. Podcast royalty. Let's have it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is the hardest working man in podcasting, people. Like, he's he's shaved his head for today. He's watched every film in the franchise. You've done Fast Five twice, is that right? I was in Asda the other day and nearly bought a Fast and Furious game on PS4. Because I was like, oh, wow. ma- ma- like ma- I must maybe that's everything. canon. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's canon. Yeah. Maybe the TV I series on Netflix is canon. Like, I think that is. I'm, I'm, I feel like I didn't do my due diligence by checking out the animated series as well. I saw you logging the shorts in between, like you know, the connective tissue, and not very highly, I, I should add. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> oh, the sh- the shorts are terrible. And it's like the fact that they are supposed to like link up the films and fill in the gaps between the film, but they do nothing. So the Fast and the Furious Two, Too Fast, Too Furious short is like a jumped up music video that is just like really, really lame. It's like Windows ninety eight levels of <laughs> gra. It's like PS two like graphics and stuff like that and just tells this like really crap story of just basically like brian driving from la to miami that is it and kind of like ducking behind like a lamppost when he sees the police and then and then it's like and then the one for the one for fast four i guess because it just gets confusing saying the actual title for that film is even more bizarre because it's 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 written and directed by vin diesel and just (laughs) introduces like the two like spanish guys we get in fast five and introduces like how letty and him get back together but i don't you don't need any of that to understand fast and furious as its actual Mm. title is you don't need to understand any of this now (laughs) there are five fast and furious films on the spotlight of the movies list so they have threatened to come up on the podcast before Quite a lot of other guests have included them in their shortlist. I remember Sam Clements and Louise Owen from the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest podcast. They almost did a Fast and Furious film. Uh, but in the end, the honour fell to Petros, who chose Fast Five. All right, listen up. The men we're after are professional runners. We find them, we take them as a team, and we bring them back. Above all else, we don't ever, ever let them get in the cars. Home sweet home. This just went from mission impossible to mission of freaking sanity. Stick to the plan. If you're gonna survive, stop thinking like a cop. My world now. 
one last drop, and then we disappear forever. This is the third of the Fast and Furious films directed by Justin Lin, who is our big Star Trek connection for today, because of course he directed Star Trek Beyond. So far, the final film in the Star Trek franchise, mm, Petros. Now five years old. Yeah, exactly. Petros, why did you choose Fast Five? I've got a really strong connection to this film. So I started working at my local Cineworld in 2011 in February. And they used to do like staff showings of films where it would be like the Thursday night before the film came out. Yeah, I'd kind of been there long enough that someone went, hey, Petros, this Thursday, we're watching Fast Five. And I went, oh, yeah, all right, yeah, all right. I'd love, love to watch that. And working at the cinema as well. I cannot tell you how many times I have seen like the mid credit sting and heard that song that goes like, oh, yo, yo, oh, oh, yo. <laughs> like just as, as a cinema usher cleaning screens, I've heard that song like... Oh, yeah, a countless amount of times. <laughs> and I think, like, for me, it might not be, like, the objective best fast film, but for me, it holds, like, a special place in my heart because it's, like, the one that, like, rejuvenated my love for the franchise as a whole. Well, I certainly think it is a lot of people's favourite, to be honest. Um, it's all considered kind of the high point of the franchise. Like, it's not my personal favourite. That would be Furious 7, which we can't cover on this podcast because directed by James Wan, who's got nothing to do with Star Trek. But before we get into the film properly, uh, Petros, of course, you have a podcast of your own that's mm-hmm. kind of recently kind of morphed out a little bit itself into a sort of more spotlight of the movies type vibe. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so it started off as a career retrospective of the one and only Nicolas Cage. So I guess after I kind of went into my cocoon for a while and was like, shit, this is gonna run out at some point. It was, let's look at the wider Coppola family and their mark on cinema as a whole. And there's, like you guys with Spotlight of the Movies, there's so many ridiculous strands and avenues that I'm kind of barreling down and I kind of like from one week to another it can be Armageddon or The Godfather or the Rocky franchise. It's a crazy amount of films that crop up and I'm going really granular and I've set some parameters as to what I can cover and when I can cover. So if you were married into the Coppola family, you're only getting covered in that period in which you were married to the family. So Spike Jones, you're only getting 99 to 2002. That's it. That's all you're getting. <laughs> yeah, it's very... So there's like a Lisa Marie Presley, like maybe... Does she have an acting career? Yeah, she's naked gun. Oh shit! Well, what, what year? What, what year did it come out? Uh, ninety <laughs> uh, eighty-seven to ninety-four. Weren't married to Cage at that time. She ah. married to Cage till two thousand and two. Ah, there you go. So this is it. This is the this is the parameters we're talking about. There you go. Yeah, that's how that's how anal I am about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, really awesome podcast. Thoroughly recommended. But we are here to talk about Fast Five. 2011, written by Chris Morgan, um, who's mostly written Fast and Furious films. Uh, he wrote uh, <laughs> 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, and Fast and Furious presents Hobson Shaw. So he's kind of, you know, really the main creative mind behind the franchise as of the third film. Um, Chris Morgan hasn't written a huge amount else. He did write the screenplay for Wanted, 
the Mark Miller uh, adaptation. He also wrote uh, Cellular, uh, which is another mm. Jason Statham film. Uh, Jason Statham and Chris Evans of Captain America fame. Um, yeah. Obviously, well, I can from... imagine how like minted he is now with the the Fast franchise. It's oh, just yeah. like right, I'm yeah. pretty yeah. sorted. It's uh, weird. He's not writing Fast Nine, so I don't know what's happened there. I don't know whether he. Hobson Shaw took it out of it or what? Uh-huh. But, well, it's um, funny, isn't it? Because yeah, Fast Nine, um, yeah, no Chris Morgan, and uh, no Rock either for the first time since this one. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, it's that weird thing, isn't it? Where Hobson Shaw, I think everyone almost expected Hobson Shaw to be the biggest Fast and Furious yet. Kind of, you know, because you've got the Rock in the lead. It's got the Fast and Furious name and everything like that. I think everyone expected that to break a billion, but it didn't. I mean, it made bank, but not like actually not as big as the Fast and Furious films itself. So actually, but people want Vin. Exactly, as it Vin, Vin <laughs> was kind of like vindicated by the box office return. <laughs> so now he's large and in charge again for Fast Nine. So get out, fucking Rock. Get out, Chris Morgan, you turncoat from writing a spin-off <laughs> film. I bet that's what it's about. I bet that's what it's about because Chris Morgan wrote the Hobson Shaw film. I, I, we know that Vin was not happy about the spin-off film. So, you know, I bet that's what it is. He's like, oh, if you wrote for them, that's it. Get out. We're getting someone else in. So, there you go. These films, it wasn't until Fast 7 I realised that these films are basically a testosterone-filled soap opera. I'll tell you what this franchise is. It's the it's the brum-brum car action version of the Saw films. Because having just rewatched all the <laughs> Saw films in the run-up to Spiral, it's brum, the same brum, thing car. where it's it's like everyone... It becomes very mythology-based. It's very um, soap opera storytelling. Its timeline goes here and there. And they treat each sequel as a way of fixing anything from before. So it's like, don't worry about it. We'll get to the next one. And then we'll retroactively, like, you know, re-canonize something here. Or, and, you know, and this franchise has a history of turning all the baddies eventually round into goodies. Like, much to the chagrin of people who still want Justice for Han. Hashtag Justice for Han. And Saw did the same sort of thing, where they'd go along and then they'd be like, oh, this bit doesn't make sense anymore. So in this film, we'll just have it. There was another uh, apprentice and he was acting in the past. And and that yeah they're very they're very very similar and i think it's just that writ large on this big action uh, scale of course i don't know how when they realized it would get as big as it did i think it really started with this one actually because this one's the first to make a lot a lot of money so directed by justin lynn uh who is the big star trek connection of the film because of course he directed star trek beyond he's also directed fast and furious 3 4 six and now nine as well and the thing that really brought him to prominence that kind of got him brought over to hollywood was he directed a film called better luck tomorrow a uh, chinese crime film which was very uh, critically well received and then he kind of came over to hollywood uh, after that don't think it's anything to do with a better tomorrow but that's what it makes me think of instantly yeah uh, I do want to see it as well. Yeah, apart from that, he hasn't done that much since Star Trek Beyond, really. He hasn't. He directed a couple of episodes of True Detective, um, but apart from that, been pretty quiet since Star Trek Beyond, probably because Beyond didn't do that well, so he's retreated to the Fast and Furious franchise. So, before we get into this movie, I just wanted to go around the table, uh, the metaphorical table, and kind of just see what all our histories are with the Fast and Furious 
franchise. Um, so for me, I saw The Fast and the Furious just on DVD at uh, some point, and I just watched it out of interest just because it had been a big sleeper kind of sensation. I wasn't that keen on it. Uh, I just thought it was what it was, point break with cars, but not as well directed, and kind of like left it at that never explored any of the sequels until a man called Greg Locke, who has appeared on this podcast three times in the past, gave me a call in 2011 and said, Liam, will you come and see The Fast and the Furious 5 Rio Heist, which was its UK title, with me <laughs> at the cinema because I haven't got anyone else to go with and I really want to see it because I'm a petrol head and I love the Fast and Furious films. And I was like, well, I haven't seen any of the others in between, but I know there's meant to be a massive fight scene between The Rock and Vin Diesel, so I'm sold. And we went, and I was like, oh, man, I had no idea what was going on, but it was great fun. And I was like, oh, wow, they've really changed what these films are about, because that first film was very much, it's all about the cars and the kind of, you know, chases and everything like that. And suddenly, this instantly, Fast Five, is this complete change of direction, loads of various different kind of action sequences and stuff like that. It's, it's far bigger in scope. And I was like, wow, this is a complete change of pace. And from that point on, I was in. Since then, I've seen every uh, Fast and Furious film in the cinema and have caught up on the other chapters in the series. So I've now seen them all. Paul, what about you? I believe you've never seen a Fast and Furious film before this. Not all the way through. Yeah, I've sort of similar to you. So um, it saw bits, I think, clips of the first film when it was on foreign TV. But I had all those channels that came out. And it's quite naff. And I had seen Point Break. So I was like, I was aware that it was kind of like a shameless ripoff of Point Break, but with cars. And uh, yeah, nothing in it looked like it was held by the, you know, somebody who's quite visually as dynamic as Catherine Bigelow. And as we know now, it's abuser, Rob, Rob Cohen. And I think it didn't really get much of a reputation because then you have the sequel, which I was aware of seeing the trailer. And it's like, oh, Vin Diesel, not in. So it felt like straight away, this is Fast and Furious 2, Cruise Control. You've lost Keanu. You've got your Jason Patrick in. Like, you've got, you're cheap. And I was like, oh, that'll be the end of that series. Then you get Tokyo Drift. Saw the trailer for that. I'm like, oh, this looks again like a complete reset. Doesn't look like I recognize anybody from that other trailer I saw. Just, I've been keeping everything kind of at arm's length, I suppose, through the years. Following and the then, progress of these trailers very closely. Yeah. <laughs> and, but then... Yeah, I remember you sort of talking about Fast Five going, this is a bit of a revelation. And, you know, I'm still not convinced because I had not seen the first three uh, or first four at this point. And then I saw the trailer for Fast Six, which was this extended, like, <laughs> five-minute trailer, which was just like a huge section of a, of a car chase. It was like, now a special preview of Fast Six. It didn't sell me at all because it was <laughs> it was atrocious CGI. Uh, like the, uh, the, the dynamics of the of the kind of uh, cars just seemed to be out of wacky races. But I was like, is this what? How do you take this seriously? Or you know, are you meant to? What is it meant? To, what's the kind of tone? And I think having that in isolation, clearly it's just for the fans who just want to get them hyped up. But it's not going to sell anybody new. On it. And that was that was the that was the last time I kind of looked at it until this came up at <laughs> this record. Wow. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So all to play for. So we will keep your yeah. opinion secret yeah. for for so, now. So, um, uh, Petros, you've kind of told us where your love for Fast started. What about you, Matt? So with this, I hadn't even seen the first. I remember it being a big deal in final kind of school years, and it being a big kind of you know sleeper DVD hit, as we said. But I just hadn't really bothered at all. It's, it's strange because it wasn't until Paul Walker died 
and I must have either been sold by the trailers for seven or had already heard something on the lines of you know what they're gonna what they're gonna do to get around this problem of Paul Walker being dead and early you know reviews saying that it's done really well I don't know what it would have been to have wrote me in at that point but I just remember Liam you and me were gonna go see it so I basically yeah mainlined films one to six over the course of like two days and then went and saw you in Brighton one time and we caught it in the cinema and it was quite revelatory like because seven is my favorite as well and I think it's a really great big action film lots and lots of fun and yeah what they do with Porker's character is genuinely like almost too good for this series like I think it's one of the best ways in which a film has handled losing one of its actors first and foremost and also sort of sending a character off from a long-running story in a good way that isn't either like we'll kill him off that's been bad taste or like do something else like what it does and the way it does it coupled with the song that it plays it's just a really really great scene and it's, so from seven onwards mental, isn't it? That the way they do it genuinely does transcend the franchise like you say it feels yeah, yeah. like oh this is we're almost like watching a different film now You aren't going to say goodbye. It's never goodbye. It's been a long day without you, my friend. And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. We've come Can you think of a film where the actor has died halfway through that has actually done it better than Furious 7? Because I can't. No, because I think I think on all counts, like technical counts, the way they got his yeah. brother in and body double, you can't tell at all. And then even the parts where it is a bit face replacement-y, you wouldn't know, I don't think. It's the one way if someone told you, you wouldn't say, oh, yeah. what's going on here? Amazing. Amazing. Okay, just wanted to see what page we all were on with Fast and Furious before we get into this film. So this movie starts in a sort of Rocky style with a reprise of the end of the last film, Fast and Furious. We actually see footage from the end of the last movie uh, with Dom being kind of sentenced to go down to prison. Dominic Toretto, you are hereby sentenced to serve 25 years to life at the Lompoc Maximum Security Prison System without the possibility of early parole. racing around to basically break him out of prison. Well, not even prison, but the prison bus on the way to prison. And that's the opening of the movie. One of the things this reminds me of is Jordana Brewster as Mia in this. He's driving on the cars and she's like a badass driver. And I swear this is the last time we see her doing any kind of action in the franchise. Like, and I think it's a real kind of shame they haven't given like Brewster more to do later on mm. in the movie. She's kind of just become the wife of It's kind of like they Brian. brought in a new sort of uh, like female action star, each one, to have a big moment, whether it's Ronda Rousey or, 
Is Gina, Gina Carano in one of them as six. well? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they kind of they kind of bring one of them in each time to have the big moment. But it's like, yeah, you've got Brewster right there, who's been been here all this time. They bring uh, in a deeply problematic MMA fighter for each movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, how did you, okay, yeah, Paul? How did you come into this? Because as I say, they've oh god, okay, previously yeah. on Fast and Furious. So what were you thinking well, in, through this first? Yeah, well, I wasn't even sure. know it was from another film. I wasn't sure, like, what they were doing because were they trying to kill this man with their escape <laughs> yeah, that attempt? Crash it was like clearly uh, everybody Paul, in that uh, truck you know, is there dead. There were no casualties. <laughs> Shocking no casualties, miraculously. Uh, but you know, I also, as a new time viewer, would like to have known what he was sentenced with because I was like, should he? I mean, if he touched children, perhaps he should have stayed in jail. Well, <laughs> I, I, no, he was he was drug running from yeah. Mexico to the United States and at the end of the fourth chapter he just goes I'm tired of running just kind of holds his hands up and goes that's it I'm going to jail because he's kind of he's been wanted yeah. for doing all these heists in number one he was doing these like so uh, actually highway running heists running drugs yeah 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 he, so he deserved jail like the, and, and who are these people to like mess what, with what, what his wishes were what <laughs> I don't get is as well is so Brian O'Connor, Paul Walker's character, was running drugs with him in number four. And he's at his trial. So it's like, why is he not strung up as well? I know he was like, it's, it's, it's all a bit muddled because he was like, he's with the FBI in one of them. He's not with the FBI in one of them. But like, he is a criminal. He has actually turned his back on the FBI in number four. And he's actually running drugs in this yeah. horrible I don't, I mean, it's been a long CGI time tunnel. Fast and Furious. But you've watched rewatched it recently. What they actually? It's not like are they being forced to be drug runners in the fourth one? No, no, they're actually <laughs> drug running for John Ortiz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is amazing. So I, I yeah, I beg his belief. <laughs> uh, but that, okay, well that's that's cleared it up and then posed a lot more questions. The Mitchell fact that was, no one was hurt in the crash reminded me of the A team, where in the A team, like you know, helicopters would crash and stuff like, and everyone would just get out with dusting themselves <laughs> off. <laughs> you know, just like which definitely becomes a theme in these movies of like, oh, no one was hurt. I mean, especially with the main characters, they will do things that you would yeah. be instantly killed at least twenty five times. And they although although except our fun. main our main characters here do kill a lot of people like explicitly like Vin in the in the train sequence coming up he throws a dude off that train and he slams straight into the metal bridge and presumably falls to his death you've got the rock like gunning down people in Brazil and that. snapping necks oh but these they, people are dead they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're all they're all psychopaths they are all psychopaths like they have no regard yeah. I want to know a kill human count life here. whatsoever. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like the destruction <laughs> and chaos they leave in their wake would make Batfleck fucking turn in his. Do you know what I mean? He'd be fucking fuming. Do you know what yeah. I mean? He, he would turn up and you could you could imagine him in Rio just like weeping, going like, "Look at the disaster, and destruction they've left behind." They dragged a what down the street? Yeah. <laughs> well, they've kind of rewired the series more and more as they've gone haven't they, to make it so they, to turn them into kind of saintly good guys who are kind of essentially, you know, like a, an Avengers yeah, well, superheroes, superhero no. group. Yeah, yeah, they are They are superheroes who are essentially saving the world as time goes on. Uh, but at this point, they're well, still... Uh, this is 
in the in the wake of Avengers Assemble, isn't it? So it's it's the kind of Fast and Furious bringing together people from Too Fast and Furious from Tokyo Drift, isn't it, into one film? This is that the first time it does it? the Avengers. So basically okay. what but you're no, saying... Yeah, you're, right, yeah, you're right, though, Paul, because this is the first time we have a team-up between OG crew and Paul Walker's Too Fast, Too Furious crew, right? This is the first time like Ludacris and that are meeting and then, a lot of people. And, and then the introduction of Han as well. Yeah. yeah. We get the, the Fast four introduction of the two spanish guys who kind of yeah. are like the demolition back as well and and i think gal gadot is in uh number four as well yeah so kind of, yeah. Four, yeah yeah it's like an ongoing series in that you kind of yes. have to yeah. have seen the like do you know what I mean for, for the vince payoff to work when he turns mm-hmm. up like i imagine paul just going like what's the relevance of this, this guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to set that up. So basically, after the opening sequence, uh, we see Paul Walker's Brian and Mia on the run, essentially, uh, in Rio. Really, really great location filming in, uh, in Rio, I've got to say. And when they turn up, we're reintroduced to Vince, who was in the first film, who was basically like the hothead of Vin's gang in the first movie, who kind of, you know, had all kinds of friction with with Paul Walker's character. For some reason they're going to him. So they've got to hide out. I'm like, wait, don't you hate each other? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> soon enough they're drinking God Coronas together, it's fine. I picked that up, okay. That was fine. Like, okay, uh, okay. okay. I, I could see, like, you know, is it, is it maybe his numbers up in this in this franchise because he's not like a big star, but it's like giving him a send off, isn't it? Because he's one of the original yeah, alumni one, one from the OG. original crew. Yeah, but like this film, like, let, let's get this out up front gives a terrible impression of brazil it just makes it out to be this horrible like den of ills and like crime that people can get away with everything from the jump yeah there's a thing on wiki here it says brazilian reviewers criticized the use of rio in the film claiming it was stereotyped as dominated by heavily armed drug traffickers corrupt police and (laughs) sexy women this is brazil (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> See, that, the last bit they shouldn't have a problem with, but certainly like their uh, car races after dark seem to be like a nightclub in the street. <laughs> it's like, yeah, oh, bloody hell, like those, uh, that kind of street racing scene, I mean, that really shows this film is from 2011, already, with like every I, I, woman I, with the shortest skirt of all time. I've been to Brighton Marina after dark and it's not like <laughs> that down this way. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, they hook up with Vince again, and Vince instantly turns around and goes like, oh, well, you need some money, don't you? So don't worry, I've organised a heist. And this is funny because at the end of the day, up until this film, they haven't really pulled off any proper heist. Well, the first film was like street racing, kind of, you know, they're nicking cars and stuff. That's not the same as the kind of heist they nicking DVD players in this film. Uh, yeah, they're nicking no, DVD no, no. players in the first in the first movie. <laughs> like, and that's apparently this was like a studio mandate to basically take this movie and turn it and morph the franchise into more of a heist film. Because up until this point, it's interesting looking at the box office, bit of stat track, because the first film made 207 million, second 236, third with all the way down to 159, and then the fourth one is a Big step up, 363. But then this film makes 626.1 million. So it's basically double what the biggest film in the franchise thus far has done. 
anything making over 600 mil worldwide is kind of reserved for big franchises, superhero stuff, Disney, like especially around this time. So for yes. this to come along, like the fifth film in an original, you know, non-IP series, essentially, to be banking that after like the previous film made half is just like, you know, that's the cumulative effect of everything that this film course corrects. Yeah, well, the weird thing is, is the studio in this case, it seems like a really random bullshit studio executive note to go like, right, ditch all the other stuff, turn this into a proper heist movie with loads of proper action set pieces mm -hmm. and everything like that. Get and me you, the rock. And it's like, you feel like, oh, how ridiculous. But actually, they were right. Because after this, the budgets and the box office just go up and up and up. By Furious 7, it's cracking a billion at the box office. Yep. And then, Same for eight. And this train heist that they do, immediately, <laughs> not only is it a really impressive action sequence, uh, although there is CG like embellishment, there's a lot of practical stuff there as well. And the moment where the car goes off the cliff and Brian leaps onto the back of the car. And then there's that car slow-mo shot of Brian gradually standing up on the back of the car while fucking Dom is still driving once in midair. I look at that and I go, I watched it today and I was like, right, that's where the Fast and Furious franchise, as we know it today, was born. It's that shot. Immediately after that scene, we get introduced to The Rock's character, Luke Hoss, which is like the second part of that franchise rebirth equation where The Rock, after this film, actually referred to himself as Franchise Viagra because he would come in and go literally give the franchise a kick up the ass. I think he stopped calling himself that after G.I. Joe retaliation. But in this case, he is right. So to your point of that, like jump off that cliff, like that moment they hit the water is where this franchise goes, we are now in fantasy land. We yeah, are not yeah. in the real world whatsoever. Even the train heist is basically the opening of Toy Story 3. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Glad I could catch the train. Now let's catch some criminals. Oh, infinity. Let me out. This film is surprisingly... When I was watching it today, I was like, holy shit, this film is really dense and packed with kind of plot and incident, considering it's only a 130-minute movie, which for today is actually quite short for a blockbuster. But a lot fucking happens. Like, this feels like a season of a TV show in one movie. There's so much going on. I really like The Rock's introduction. He's kind of introduced monologuing yep. in the film as Luke Hobbs. And I actually really like his performance in this movie because The Rock now, I would say, in general, tends to play The Rock. In films, in a, in a lot, in a lot of ways, like even in Hobbs and Shaw, which is a spin-off from this series. By that point, Luke Hobbs is kind of just the Rock, whereas here he's a proper character. Like he is clearly meant to be the Fast and Furious version of Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive. He actually even what? at some point when. I think it's Brian says they're innocent or whatever. He actually says, I don't care. So he is basically the <laughs> relentless pursuer, you know, the kind of cop who's basically as bad as the criminals to get the bad guys. And yeah, I think you're right. Because I think later on he becomes more of a, like, you know, flash flashes pearly whites grin. And it's yes. like, you know, it's me, everyone. Everyone's comfortable with me. It's the rock. They want to see me. Whereas what? here, he's much more antagonistic. You know, him turning around and saying, you know, stay the fuck out of my way. It's such like yeah. a mission statement for his character. It's like, oh, this isn't, this isn't face 
rock. This is heel rock, you know. Because <laughs> I think it's seven. He rock bottoms Jason Statham for yes. one. Yeah. So it's like that is them going like, this is for the WWF fans. And it's really interesting your point about Tommy Lee Jones. He was actually slated to like that. That's what they originally to play envisioned <laughs> oh, as wow. Hulk. They envisioned a, a Tommy. Yeah, they envisioned a Tommy Lee Jones type, like a kind of like hard-nosed guy coming after them. I now want to see Hobbs and Shaw, where it's Tommy Lee Jones and Jason Statham in a double buddy. I want to see Vin Diesel and Tommy Lee Jones fight. Yeah. (laughs) Duking it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can Tommy Lee Jones rock bottom someone through a table, please? (laughs) It's just a fallout of this card where they introduce Henry Cavill, where you've got somebody who could be equal star status as the kind of the guest villain of the Mm -hmm. day. And... Mm. You know, that could, you know, on a cinematic fight could hold his own against Cruz. You know, you've cast Superman against him. And it seems to be like the case here where you just like absolute charisma, so much presence. And you know, there's going to be a showdown. So you're kind of like enjoying him getting closer and closer to like that moment. I mean, his character, the first, I wasn't quite sure how he's going to pitch it because he does come across like really rude and antagonistic to the local police. Very rude. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to hear about the loss of your man. Is all of this really necessary to apprehend two men? Let me tell you something about these two men. One's a former federal officer, been in deep cover for five years, knows everywhere you're gonna come from. The other one's a professional criminal, escaped prison twice, spent half his life on the run avoiding folks like you. Well, if there is anything we can do to help their DSA... Two things. One, I need a translator. Claro, we have that in the public relations. A patrol officer. You heard me. But why? We have many more experienced people. I like her smile. What's the second thing? Stay the fuck out of my way. Clearly he just knows that they're all corrupt and he just requested the one person he knows isn't going to be corrupt. He's done his research, but don't let them know you think yeah, they're scum. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he is incredibly antagonistic uh, as a character. He really throws his weight around and I think that first big chase in uh, Rio where they're chasing over the rooftops. That really has impact because it shows that Hobbs, he's got this incredible brute force impact, but he's also very efficient. He like takes out like three guys on his own and everything like that. He's running after kind of Dom, like crashing through a window. That's sort of his Daniel Craig in Casino Royale moment coming through the wall. Mm. And then like, you know, he really, you are like, holy shit, this guy coming out after you. He's a force of fucking nature. Well, he's kind of like an evil uh, Mirror Universe version of Vin, isn't he? Because he's also bold, but he has the evil... Uh... Uh, <laughs> yeah, go-to the go-to. Yeah, the go-to. Star Trek Which people have. Which so. shaves off when Hoss becomes nicer. So there you go. There's oh, a bit yeah. as well where the, where the Rock picks up the case file off somebody and just like throws it on the ground. It's like, we're never going to find our answers in these files. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I Bunch can't make press these files. <laughs> but it's funny because like, clearly he would have had to read files to find her linked to her like a uh, husband being shot. And that <laughs> stuff. I was like, you know, reading is for whips. Except, like, <laughs> What I really like about that favela chase is it utilizes a lot of massive wide shots where you can really see all the different people moving on the different levels <laughs> at different times. It looks like kind of giant Donkey Kong or something. Like, yeah, they're all going down all the day. It's really, really cool. I, I love that chase. And the fact that, like, you're kind of disorientated because, like, it's, it's like who's after who. So, obviously, you've got, like, the fast gang 
running away from Hobbs and his gang, but then you've also got like the the favela toughs coming after both of them yes. at the same time. It's all a bit chaotic, and it's like who's kind of with who at this? Obviously, they've double crossed Reyes, so like they're now after the fast gang, but they're also after Hobbs and his gang. And then yeah, obviously that sequence ends in like those guys. Crawling out for what, in all intents and purposes, is a sewer, right? Yeah, yeah, shit yeah, yeah, yeah. But they yeah. look right still, <laughs> even though they can't really <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Reyes is like our villain from Desperado and Twenty Four Season Three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Mister Delameda, like brilliant as always, just playing his villainous part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same part he always played, but he's good at it. I mean, like, he's great in Twenty Four Season Three, isn't he? I remember yeah, him really I, well I, from I was, that. I was ashamed they didn't give him more kind of like character moments. Like, I mean, I love him in Desperado where he's like, but he's running the bar and they go to visit the crime scene afterwards. And like these tourists really come in and he goes, can't you see that we are fucking closed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He doesn't get that much to do, does he? He's kind of more cardboard standard villain in this really. Yeah. I mean, it's a, a shame because he's on. capable of so much more and he is in clear and present danger. There's a nice link as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He twice me... he's up like a uh, rocket launcher ambushes on Americans <laughs> yeah. and so we get basically as you say this is the sort of Avengers assemble moment of the uh, franchise where Ludacris and Tyrese Gibson return from Too Fast Too Furious we get Giselle back from Fast and Furious we get Han who was introduced in uh, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift who was did kind of cameo at the end of Fast and Furious, but at this point we're kind of obviously as an audience wondering how the hell he's there uh, <laughs> because of his fate in Tokyo Drift. And that's the thing, it's mad to me that it isn't actually to the end of this movie that we get clarification mm. that Tokyo Drift is clearly set after these films like in terms yeah, of so, so you go through this whole film going like how is he here yeah like what <laughs> like, and, then, and then she says at the end Giselle says to him at the end I thought you wanted to go to Tokyo and he's just like oh don't worry Not yet, we'll baby. get there Not eventually yet. and so it's literally this knowing <laughs> week to the audience being like oh it's... yeah so just so you know Tokyo Drift is set afterwards at some point in the future um uh, these are all prequels and will lead up to that. It's, um, it's such a bad move. I love the way they were so willing to completely just break the entire series just because I guess they wanted Han to come back a few more times. They're like, yeah. fuck, all right, Tokyo Drift is in the future. And then by the time that gets around, everything in it is so dated. It's really funny. <laughs> well, and also, the mad thing is now is, of course, Han is back in Fast 9. So it's almost like they didn't have to do it because they'd eventually bring him back from the dead anyway. So it's kind of like they didn't even have to do that kind of bad time. They could have just gone, yeah, he's, he's <laughs> like, like yeah, it just doesn't really what? matter. It's nuts. Song Kang is a really charismatic actor. He's like. fucking cool, and he's fucking cool. And he kind of has to be. Because he pulls Giselle, paid by Gal Gadot. It, at first, you're kind of like, oh, you're punching up a bit, aren't you, Han? Like, I think, like, yeah, but actually, <laughs> Han's so sort of kind of enigmatic and cool that you're kind of like, yeah, I believe it. I believe he could do it. Like, I think, like, you know, he's just got that kind of air to him, hasn't he? He's, like, intriguing. His introduction is, like, we need a guy who can just kind of float in and just, like, 
be an enigma and it's like he's the guy that comes up on screen mm. obviously you get those introductions and it's it's a great way it's a great thing for the fans but then also like newcomers to the series and i'd be interested to hear what you think of this paul like the way that they're all introduced where it's like oh we need a loud mouth and then it's like tyrese gibson and even the way he's dressed in that garish leather jacket but you get you mm. get the kind of introduction to everyone and that's like it also it pays off to fans because it's like i remember seeing like tyrese gibson because Too Fast, Too Furious, he's definitely like a standout for me. And like the introduction of Tej, which I don't quite understand when they're like, we need somebody who's like a tech wizard. How that is implanted in our minds from Too Fast, Too Furious. Because he's basically like the guy who takes the bets on a streetcar race, but all of a sudden he is now. He's like, oh, I can work a laptop. It's fine. Yeah, I, 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 not only can I work a laptop, it's like I know every tech under the world, and I just could like figure yeah. anything out, whatever you need. Well, I guess yeah. all this is the Ocean's Eleven style getting the team together, isn't it? And Han is very much the Brad Pitt always snacking. Like that's how you show he's cool and laid back. Just always snacking, always be snacking. Well, that's it. It's definitely paying homage to. Ocean's Eleven, the Ocean's Trilogy, mm. by way of Tony Scott, I think, with some of the camera work where they kind of like start introducing them. Unfortunately, unlike Steven Soderbergh, Justin doesn't kind of use funny enough vignettes to kind of deduce them. I just felt like the examples given on the screen to kind of like underscore each person was a bit forgettable. And I can't recall a single one of them. And it was interesting, there was a scene we've we skipped, which was a bit of character building moment between Torello and uh, Brian O'Connor, where they both talk about their fathers. Hey, Dom, what do you remember about your father? father he used to uh he used to have a barbecue every sunday after church for anybody in the neighborhood if you didn't go to church you didn't get any barbecue every single day he was in the shop and every single night he was at the kitchen table with mia helping her with her homework even after she went to sleep, he'd stay up for a few more hours so he could learn the next chapter and help her the next day. <laughs> I remember everything about my father. Everything. That's just it. I don't remember shit about my dad. I don't remember him yelling. I don't remember him smiling. To be honest with you, I don't even remember what the hell he looked like. I don't remember, just... He's just never there. Thins was like the best daddy who would stay up reading stories, but then he would stay up another couple of hours to read the next chapter. I was like, well, that guy reads really slowly. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Yeah, I, I think the line is he stays up to like read the next chapter of the maths homework for Mia. And like, what's really interesting about the moment, because we've totally skipped over the fact that once they come out of the shit pipe, that's when Mia, having jumped at least 20 foot into a favela roof announces she's pregnant which like i don't mean to like think, but like that is that is Might enough want to mention that first huh that is enough to like do you know I mean she's like yeah i'm fine jumping off this roof with you brian it's but then it's like yeah i'm not happy i'm not happy splitting up yeah it is a film where yeah we can pull all those holes in it and i think it does pay off for stuff 
better than I thought it would. And I think because I haven't seen it in like context of the other films, all the madness of trying to bring people out from the dead doesn't appear doesn't come to me. So it's like, oh, of course these people <laughs> will be here. I mean, the only only thing that could have really left me oh, let's see, was uh, Letty question mark Who is this? I had a guess it'd be Michelle Rodriguez, who I knew was in the franchise at some point. So. But that was it. I wasn't sure like who they were and who, what who relation mm. what relationship well, yeah, they were. At the end, were you like Eva Mendes? <laughs> uh, yeah, I yeah I saw it's Eva Mendes and I'm like oh maybe she's seen this is her introduction for like a you know a recurring role. So she Eva Mendes was in Too Fast Too Furious as sort of yeah. uh, a loving potential love interest for Paul Walker in that film, and then this is her coming back. So those are only two appearances in the franchise because obviously Eve Mendes is sort of retired from acting, unfortunately. You know, I'd love them to get her back, but I don't know whether they can because she's busy raising children at the moment. But, you know, maybe at some point. And obviously we get the first hint of a kind of flirtation between Giselle and Han where he offers her a crisp and she kind of (laughs) looks at the crisp packet with a level of disgust which says, I've clearly never eaten a crisp in my life, and why would I start now, you idiot? (laughs) (laughs) I think that exchange we get from Tej and Roman is brilliant, because it really builds up their dynamic that builds throughout the series from this point on. Oh, hell no. (laughs) I see they really scraped the bottom of the barrel. I guess they did, since your ass is here. When are you going to give Martin Luther King his car back? As soon as you give Rick James his jacket back. Well, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because we were talking about their reintroductions, like these characters who have appeared in the franchise before. But really what they're doing, what Chris Morgan's doing is quite a clever thing of essentially backwardly engineering everything. So essentially, really, I wouldn't say that Ludacris and Tyrese Gibson actually play the same characters they portrayed in Too Fast, Too Furious. I would say both of their characters, especially Ludacris, are very different in Too Fast, Too Furious. I mean, Tyrese Gibson's more serious in that film. Ludacris is nothing like his character at all in that movie, to the point that they've obviously realised it's mental that Ludacris is even playing the same (laughs) character because he's literally just kind of an Afro-wearing, like a stoner like kind of car race guy in the second film and uh, when they introduce him as like this expert hacker they actually have Tyrese Gibson say something like oh I didn't know you were like the world's best <laughs> hacker ludicrous and he goes like oh yeah, I had a life before I knew you actually <laughs> you know as if to answer like this is why I am now this character who's literally nothing like the character I portrayed before it's that thing of going it's sort of lip service in terms of going these are characters from the past of the franchise and they have significance for that reason but they're essentially playing different characters because we now need these types of characters for the heist movie that this franchise is now becoming retroactively once you get to kind of planning the heist well it's really clever i thought the way they kind of like knew that they're you know as soon as you hit one of the 10 stash houses like they're going to start moving it around because it's like that's the question you're like screaming at the street so like, of course as soon as you hit one obviously it doesn't make any difference that you've got the other nine because he's going to change up but like i love that was the way they kind of sort of set that up that they would force his hand to consolidate the assets into one place you really kind of bought into the team dynamic and like how they were planning all this stuff I love seeing them uh, practice, you know, the underground manoeuvres with the car because it actually gave the driving a point 
It wasn't just like flashy cars. They were picking the cars for certain reasons and they were kind of like narratively made sense what they were trying to do. I'm not a huge car person, so it took a lot to kind of really kind of care about that stuff, but it was it was good to sort of see it played out like that. I felt like the, the, the street racing thing was more of just like a, a nod to like the series origins and it wasn't really necessary. You know, it didn't do much for me, except it was a great double blind for uh, Hobbs, where they lure him out. The Toretto! You're under arrest. Arrest? I don't feel like I'm under arrest. How about you, Brian? No, not a bit. Not even a little bit. Uh, I'll just give it a minute. It'll sink in. We didn't kill those feds, those Reyes. I don't give a shit. Just here to bring in two assholes whose names hit my desk. Yeah. That sounds like a real hero. That's funny. I'm a guy who took the oath of a cop and then went against everything it stood for. Or some wannabe tough guy prick who beat a man half to death with a socket wrench. Yeah, real tough. You turn around and put your hands behind your back. I don't think so. Your mistake is thinking you've got a goddamn choice, boy. Your mistake? Thinking you're in America. You're a long way from home. This is Brazil! It was a really good showdown, like, you know, measuring dicks moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's always seems to be a moment in all the other subsequent films where they throw in some race, even if it's little a little quick something and has nothing to do with it. Just be like, remember what we used to be as a franchise? Yep, all right, move on. Well, they have another <laughs> yeah. bit where they, they steal the cop cars, like, to basically, you know, sort of be invisible. And that was a great little move as well. But then they decide to have a drag race with all these cop cars <laughs> they just nicked, with the high chance one of them is going to be wrecked. And, and like, also they're getting, like, you know, arrested immediately. I was just like, what? <laughs> well, this is, yeah, the it's... constant on and off race between Brian and Dom, isn't it? Where they're always like, cool would win. <laughs> <laughs> and because of the cop cars, we do get a really satisfying moment later where Roman, using the uh, cop car, actually smashes into a cop car and goes, good afternoon, officer, like when he does it, which I was like, <laughs> there was something about it of like a black man using that as a weapon to destroy an actual police car that kind of felt yeah. kind of cool. You know, in that moment, I was yeah. like, yeah, it was really satisfying. He does it a second time and says, like, I'm going to need your license and registration as well. Which <laughs> yeah. is, like, I guess a line that is, like, do you know what I mean? Kind of synonymous with, like, some terrible events that have happened for, like, a- African-Americans in regards to, do you know what I mean? So it's, like, it's yeah. almost, like, in, in a kind of popcorn fluffy film, it, it's got that moment where it's, like, we're letting a character get some kind of karmic retribution for the fucking ills of corrupt policeman in america obviously like we've transposed it to brazil but the the same thing still applies i think yeah. uh vin diesel gets a great line as well where like he goes he's, he's driving the car car he goes it's been a long time since you've done this it's like yeah but not in the front seat uh <laughs> that was that was a great little character moment i thought uh, so shall we talk about the big standout set piece of this film which of course is hobbs versus dom you're going down toretto i'm right here Diesel 
versus The Rock. They're massive fight scenes. Like, you know, these two titans going at it. I mean, I, I love mm. this fight. It's fucking great. Well, and yeah, they certainly won't be doing it again, will they? No, no, they won't be. Like, <laughs> you know, and they, they, this feels like, you know, slightly at this point in their careers, they haven't reached that stratosphere yet where they could do that. Oh, we, for every punch he gets, I have to get a punch and everything like that. Although there's still no kind of quite clear winner although i suppose you could say vin is kind of still his franchise right now for the car rock wrestled it from him but this is like what i love about it is you know again this is another moment this fight goes this is a superhero fight he's like literally batman versus superman because they are fucking <laughs> going through fucking walls when they hit each other they're like flying across the room it was, it was a good fight my problem with it was is they, they picked a shithole to do it in. And it's like, for these guys, I think it would have been better to have a pristine environment that gets gradually destroyed as they are going at each other mm. to kind of, like, tell the, the, narrative, the story of their fight and, like, the destruction that they're kind of wreaking on each other. Because, of course, they'll have they'll be missed hits and take out little bits of the, the scenery would have been quite good. I mean, of course, they're just trashing a really trash place, but it's like, it, at the end, it didn't look much different from when it started. <laughs> That's the one bit for me I would have changed, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I love this whole sequence. And it's funny, I watched the behind-the-scenes featurette of the making of the fight, and that is hilarious <laughs> watch, because, obviously, this is the birth of the Vin Diesel-Dwayne The Rock Johnson rivalry, where, you know, they have had a huge falling out, which has led to The Rock essentially departing the franchise, going off into his own spin-off. And it's always come across as if the beef is mostly on Vin Diesel's side. And The Rock comes across as very kind of chilled, funny, you know, has a sense of humour about himself. Whereas Vin Diesel comes across as very serious, very ego-driven. And in this feature, it kind of demonstrates that because it's got like interviews with Big Vin and it's got interviews with The Rock and it's got behind-the-scenes candid footage of them filming the sequence. And Vin Diesel seems extremely serious about it, very kind of like, you know, well, two guys like us, we got proud about the sequence. Yeah, stuff like that. And The Rock seems his usual charismatic, smiley, kind of jokey, backstabbing guy self. And there's a moment where they've been filming and Vin Diesel is sitting in a chair in front of the monitors and he's never looked so fucking shagged out in his life. He's sweating, he's kind of like in the... And like The Rock <laughs> comes over to him, just looking like the normal chilled out Rock who's been filming this he's with him, obviously. And he's just kind of like walking about, <laughs> making jokes, and he kind of like slaps Vindy's on the leg. He's like, oh, nice one, brother, and everything like that. And Vindy's <laughs> just goes, up, oh, yeah, 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 good, good stuff, Dwayne, good. <laughs> like Don't like fucking collapses. touch me. <laughs> it just feels like he's like trying too hard to keep up with the rock. Oh yeah, because he has to be kind of like you know. The, the well, maybe this is where it started, and he realised like I cannot keep up with the rock. I need to bring him down to my level, but he's too stratospheric. He's getting too popular now. I can't keep chasing him, so yeah, you're out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's very, very well worth uh, watching. But yeah, I do, I do love this fight. I just love seeing them go out because they actually mentioned it's kind of they said I suppose like it's sort of a bit like uh, obviously a lower rent version but like seeing Arnie and Sly go at it in their heyday which of course never happened they have a fight in the escape plan but that's when they're both old as fuck 
And it's such a <laughs> it's such a disappointment that imagine if there was a movie in the eighties where Arnie and Sly actually duked it out like proper. It'd be fucking incredible. It feels like such a shame it never happened. And this is sort of kind of you know standing in for one of those kind of battles of two big actions. I bet they would have had types. the same problem where they could never pick a winner. That's maybe why it yeah. never happened yeah. as well. Just like yeah. oh, who's gonna win this fight? It's a human know? Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. well this thing... is like a kaiju fight, isn't it? It is actually like a kaiju fight. <laughs> Vin Diesel in this as well. It's probably looking like the most haggard he's looked in all of them. He's got a bit of stubble which he doesn't have in any of the other films. Where it's like ah. Oh, He's on holiday. He's in Rio. He's having a good time. And, like, he's not looking like the most svelte he's ever looked. Do you know what I mean? He's not the most ripped Vin has ever been. I like, mean, I don't know. I, I think it might be only because you're comparing him with The Rock. I think compared to any yeah, yeah, other that. human being, Vin Diesel looks pretty incredible in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just got to go for little glories. Do you know what I mean? I yeah, go, yeah, I, yeah, he, yeah. He, he looks a bit like... Sh- just because my own, my own self-image is, is so low, I'm like, oh, yeah, he looks like <laughs> shit as well. He's <laughs> <laughs> just like me. <laughs> Man of the people, Dom Toretto. Uh, obviously, there's the ambush sequence which pushes Toretto and Hobbs to kind of join forces and I love the dynamic where he's like we're going to join up but I have very much strict rules around it's to take down that drug lord uh, who's killed my men I mean Hobbs has got a very strange moral compass here like he's not a law enforcement anymore he's just like in it for retribution <laughs> Well, he like fucking straight shoots obviously. Reyes down like a dog in the street, which is amazing. Oh, I like that because it was, yeah, it was a kind of a different way of taking out your main villain, actually, to sort of, you know, so sort of clinically. It was it was good because it really does something the line, like he is a mad dog that gets his man, you know, no feeling about it whatsoever. I mean, it's not, I don't know if it's like warming me to him because he's like as psychopathic as the rest of them, really. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, for me, the standout sequence was the, the heist itself. Uh, with the chase which I would say call this nothing less than a demolition derby well there's two eras CGI era which of which this is in and the pre-CGI era which I think for me the understudy crown goes to Goldeneye in the pre-CGI era of something like this tank a, through a uh, tank through yeah a tank through a city like pancaking yeah. cars going through trucks going through monuments going through entire buildings and just like the glee at which you're watching that sequence I mean it's ridiculous because of course you know there's no way Bond's going to outrun them eventually it goes like five miles an hour but it, <laughs> you just suspend but disbelief for that sequence it's just the joy of the carnage and then this is doing that same thing again you just it, you're just enjoying the kind of like you're putting the fact that physically this isn't completely impossible they didn't pick the right cars to drag this thing i'm not a car person but wouldn't you have trucks <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like yeah like or four by fours or something like that but that's beside the point to see that safe like smash through a bank take out like whole rows of cars you're just like loving it loving life <laughs> <laughs> this kind of took the crown of terminator 3 rise of the machines i was just about to say that yeah yeah that's what that reminded me of going through when yeah when arnie on the crane gets pulled through that building that's yeah. like that bit where the safe goes through the bank yeah, I thought that was uh, that was a really that was a really good standout chase because it's mm. like you're following Cameron's epic and it's like how you're gonna the first action sequence you're gonna show in that movie how's it gonna compare and it wasn't bad it wasn't bad out of the gate uh, it just everything after that was late. Yeah, it's, it's a really impressive sequence, especially as it is again a sequence where there must be loads of CGI like in it, but again th- there is clearly practical stuff 
in there because it really does considering it's made in 2011 it does look really impressive I, I expected to watch it and go like oh bloody hell looks well PlayStation 2 now and it really doesn't it looks really fucking good I think they said after Fast and Furious that like because that had a lot of CGI they wanted to step away from that so like the jump at the train heist is a wire work and stuff like that there's like obviously body doubles and stuff but like they wanted to go as much as they could they wanted to lean into practical stuff as much as they can and that yeah that sequence at the end I think you're kind of you get lost in the like magic of it all like Paul said like you, you leave you leave your logical brain at the door when it comes to the idea of like they could never pull that that safe it's like no i'm with them here there's too many of them hey there's too many of them we're not gonna make it you're right we are you are what are you talking about just let the vault go get out of there you're a father now brian no i'm not leaving you now you stick with the plan it was always the plan take care of me don't you listen to me now, okay? You cut loose right now! They pull a full Ocean's Eleven with the reveal of the Volt Switch, and that's where we actually get the only glimmer of normal rock is when he laughs about, like, being basically <laughs> fooled with the uh, Switch of the Volts, which shows he likes them really, you know, he thinks they're great. I'll be going around there for a barbecue soon, it's yeah, fine. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be fine. <laughs> well, yeah, even to the way he says, like, you've got, you've got a 24-hour window. Because he thinks that they're like, they're fucked. They've got no pot to piss in. Because to plan this heist must have spent thousands of dollars. But like, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He, he, he thinks they haven't got anything. So it's like, oh, the furthest you'll be able to get is like Sao Paulo or something. Like, I'll, be able to, <laughs> I'll be able to get you. Going to that reveal when like the vault is empty, like watching it again after so long was just like, oh, I fucking love it. And then like, added on to that when you get the reveal of what actually happened it's like i'm in jizz city do you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm like, i love this that's the thing i love in heist movies when you get that kind of like here's what actually happened it's like a oh, real like, oh. at, and i'll say it's more satisfying than yeah. ocean 11 because nobody can explain actually how they did it and it's a massive <laughs> plot hole because there's literally no way it could actually happen and they point this out in the commentary for ocean's 11 where brad pitt's like do you know, like, how do they do this? He's like, don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and so oh, this makes perfect again set up and pay off. It you know exceeded all my expectations that they felt like really well earned kind of like reveals and stuff like that. Uh, and it's just nice to see them all get away with it. And then of course this leads into the main montage where basically it shows all the characters going off to live their kind of life's variety. Now they've all got away with all this money. And it's funny like how at this point you can still really root for these characters because this is the first film where they kind of take everything so much bigger. They're still characters who essentially come from nothing and now they're actually succeeding. And what this montage really reminded me of was the montage at the end of the Only Fools and Horses 1996 Christmas special, where they become millionaires, and <laughs> then course. there's a mod- montage to Crosby, Stills and Nash, showing them all living their lives as millionaires now. That's what this reminded me of. And it kind of made me think, like, I think this was done in such a way, although there are hints and threads for things that they could pick up, for future instalments. At this point, no one knew this chapter was going to be as huge as it became. Because up until this point, all the sequels were kind of like diminishing returns or Fast and Furious had been bigger. 
but still not insane kind of big. Hence them, you know, saying we want to try something different for this film to go forward. And I think if this hadn't worked, if this hadn't made money, there wouldn't have been any more Fast and Furious films, I don't think. So I think well, yeah, Chris that's... Moore did a clever thing in terms of it feels like a wrap-up for those characters while also being able to extend it. That's what I was going to say entirely, that this does genuinely feel like an ending because you get, I think it's Vin who earlier at one point says one last job (laughs) and the way this all wraps up, it's like, you know, all the, all the people have millions and millions of dollars now. And if it wasn't Fina, the Letty sting, uh, you could look at this as being like the end. It's, you know, it's the end of season one of Fast and Furious with (laughs) Furious six being season two premiere. It almost feels like it tested so well with test audiences that that like mid credit sting is a pickup shot because it, it feels it was. like I bet it was yeah it, it, it very much feels like that do you know what I mean like, I mean I like, bet this te- I did test amazingly I mean I'd love to find out but I bet it did because I bet people going in to a test audience saying oh this is Fast and Furious 5 they wouldn't have been expecting this movie at all mm. and they would have I, yeah. I can imagine those people not knowing what they were going to get being blown away by it uh, so Paul I'm desperate to hear mate Final thoughts and star rating because we haven't really got into your opinion the of the final film, really. Five. Yeah, the final <laughs> five. Go on. <laughs> I I enjoyed the movie. I, I think it's like I haven't quite, you know, fallen off with it. I perhaps on a rewatch of it because if I go and explore more of the subsequent movies, I might kind of just get to sort of know the character a bit more. It was it seemed quite scant on the character development, but for what actually it delivered in terms of like good cinematic going fun it was good i, I mean that final sequence was just like pure joy like you know really and i think um you know all the high stuff i think i i'm worried that perhaps they dropped some of the heist formula in, in subsequent entry that perhaps the last thing i want to see is it sort of reverting back to just like you know it's early days and drag racing like you know after dark it just doesn't appeal to me so if it sticks to this formula i'd be more interested in kind of mm-hmm. seeing more more of this so what's your star rating? Well, it'd be three stars. Three stars, victory! Okay, yeah, I think that's good. <laughs> I think you could drink a bottle of Corona after this and be part of the family, Paul. <laughs> uh, Petros, as a lifelong fan, what is your final verdict and star rating? It very much falls into like the camp of an Armageddon or like some of the co- more like questionable Michael Bay stuff where it's like, I see what it's doing. I see the flaws that this film has. But despite all of that, I absolutely love it. Even down to the fact that, like, Giselle's character throughout the whole film doesn't get a name check. Like, she's never introduced, she's never, like, referenced by name. There are crazy things where, like, I mentioned, like, you mentioned the line earlier, Liam, where, like, they say, you didn't know me in my, like, previous life, or, like, I had a life before I knew you guys. That line is dredged up again by, like, I think it's Han, and he wasn't privy to the conversation where that happened, and that happens, like, a few times. There's so many things in this film where you can go, like, Oh, that's a yeah. That, that that's a, that's a big, but that's only when you watch it twice in a week, like a fucking mad. <laughs> but like, I can't think of another like fifth entry in a series of films where it's just like really ramped it up 
this this film especially has a lot of fond memories for me so yeah so it's a four star from me amazing yeah i really like this film it's my second favorite of the fast franchise i mean in terms of a franchise rejuvenation i can't really think of another franchise on its fifth film steps it up as much as this does from what's come before i I really really can't so for, for that alone it's incredibly impressive I do think the way Chris Morgan crafted an entire mythology uh, for Fast and Furious, backwardly engineering it, is it, it, it is smart and he did it very well. You know, I think he's kind of the unsung hero of the uh, franchise. I think The Rock really he was franchise Viagra in this in this movie. I think the Rio sequences have such a great sense of place. I think it's so packed like you can't get bored in this film there's so much getting thrown at you all the time and the action sequences are really impressive and obviously you've got the standout dom and uh, hobbs fight as well and yeah and i think it also manages to feel as much as a, a franchise reset as it does a franchise potential ending as well it kind of it, you know it kind of ticks all those boxes so yeah it's a four star for me matt I would say just on that, not bored for a second. And that is a good sign, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, I mean, so much fun this film. And it really does find the franchise in full gear. The speed at which, again, it hits the ground running. Because you've got, you know, you're coming off the back off, off the ending of four... You don't have to bother too much with setup. So it means you can hit these big action sequences within the first like five minutes and just not let off from there uh, and then bringing in new big players like mm. Hobbs. Um, and I think this really is, as we've, as we've said, this kind of transition period where it's kind of culminating everything that the first four have done, but it's also the first one to dip its toes into where it will go into more, you know, six, seven, eight are kind of more known for being having more and more outlandish like set pieces and action scenes and superhero heroics. And I think this one kind of really does straddle that line where the stakes are essentially still rooted in kind of crime films. Basically, you know, getting this chip, you know, that you can blackmail a crime lord with, you know, that's kind of what it's about. It's not about world domination yet or stopping nukes or whatever, you know, it's, it's still very much a crime film, but now just a little more global uh, and bring in the heist element that really kind of is the best way to introduce the new action heavy focus because you know what what better way than to come out of this the, the, these crime film stakes than to have a heist scenario that you also need cars for it's like the perfect kind of marriage and it's just uh, it's just so much fun and i think i think for me it's i think it's like my fate my third favorite i think i think seven's definitely number one and i think six just pips it as well because you know six continues what this this one starts and just cranks it all up, and there's a lot six of good stuff. Six is fucking great. I like it. Yeah, like all the all the London stuff, and you know the ridiculous airport runway finale and stuff. It's it's great fun. Um, so yeah, this you know this gets a solid three and a half from me. I think you know I, I think I think seven is still is like four star for me. I don't think I'm going above a four for any of these yet. Um, so three and a half <laughs> is you know second best as you can get really, because you know down the lower end of the scale, like Too Fast Too Furious is just kind of trash <laughs> and the first is just very sort of bland as we've said so yeah varying degrees between like sort of one and four stars it's interesting but you know i wouldn't say no to seeing any of them again and they are perfect kind of popcorn fodder and it's no wonder that it has such fans now yeah actually you know what matt five and six kind of 
kind of tally against each other for my second spot because six it, yeah. is, it is great he's got so much good stuff and probably to be fair the Michelle Rodriguez Gina Carano uh, London Underground fight is probably my favourite oh. fight of the franchise in that film because that's yeah. so feels so real and so kind of like hardcore and it's not at all what it's one of the um, earliest fights around this, like it's not at all sexualized. They're not wear- they're wearing really kind of practical kind of stuff, everything like that, and they're really knocking seven bells out of each other. So like, yeah, that is absolutely awesome. So yeah, Node Six is is quality as well. Uh, so there we go, Fast Five, a resounding success. Um, yeah, we, we may we may return to the Fast and Furious universe at some point in Spotlight the movie's future. Uh, well, pe- I'm, in, I'm in for six. Yes! Amazing. Right, let's do it. Next episode. Uh, Petros. Petros, where can we find more about you and your podcast online? So you can find me on all social media. So that's uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd, all at Caged in Pod, where I normally just chat shit about. Nicholas K or not chat shit like this in regards to shit talking him but like just talking <laughs> waffle about like what Nick Cage is up to what the Coppola family are up to just yeah come, come on over it's, it's it's a lot of fun I've got some amazing guests in the bank got an, some amazing guests lined up of like managed to secure an interview that is one of the more I don't know weirder Coppola connections that I've ever been able to like track down and that kind of fell into my lap so that's that's very much something to look forward to yeah amazing I can't wait wait. Uh, you can find Spotlight at Spotlight Pod on Instagram Facebook and Twitter you can leave a review at Apple Podcasts but you must give us the full fast five I don't want to see any <laughs> Fast and Furious by Rio Heist over there. I can tell you that now. Okay, but until next time, it's goodbye from me, Liam. Goodbye from me, Matt. We're going down to Toretto. <laughs> <laughs> and goodbye from our guest, Petros. Goodbye. Ride or die, people. Ride or die. Oi, 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 oi,